Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now here's the host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, San Diego. We're here live from San Diego, and it's a beautiful day. It's like going to be 90 degrees, and it's just gorgeous. Thank you for having us live here in the wonderful Motivox Studios here in downtown San Diego. And today we have a very special guest, America's top coach, Stephen Xavier. Yes, he's a, he's a CEO of Cornerstone Executive Development Group, and he is indeed America's top coach. Stephen, what makes you America's top coach? Oh, I've been doing this for like a hundred years. Like, put that out there on the table first. But uh, kidding aside, since 1987, uh, before coaching was even called coaching, it's it's been a long time. Yeah, you you mentioned before that you know everybody knew what a baseball coach was and everybody knew what a basketball <laughs> coach was, but nobody really knew what a job coach was when you kind of fell into it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, people back then were just simply called trusted advisors to uh, America's corporate uh, senior executives. But that really began to reshape itself, I think, in uh, in a noticeable way. Uh, which then eventually became what we now call executive coaching. Right. I mean, so you're the father. You're like the grandfather. <laughs> hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Let's stick with father. But you're still very young. I have to say for our listeners, you know, you're still very, very young. But it's amazing that you really, again, like the father of our country, you know, things get invented by people in the forefront. And you were definitely mm-hmm. one of the people that sort of fell into this position as a trusted advisor. You gave your opinions to people who were leading businesses, and people started listening to you and found that they really did business a lot better with you around. Yeah, I'll, I have to say, <laughs> yes, that's true, and thank you, by the way. No, it's very, very true. Um, you know, it, it, we had dinner last night here in San Diego, and, you know, we talked about a lot of things and a lot of interesting things and a lot of things that are probably life-changing. For example, we talked a lot about human resources, you know, and the way that human resources is probably better, better, better said as human capital. And um, do you think that the human resource director as we know it is obsolete? Well, I think uh, they've been obsolete for a long time, and I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, Cindy, first, uh, I think you really have kind of two brands of the human resource executive. Uh, you know, brand number one is sort of the old school personnel person who is uh, keeping an eye on things. Uh, you know, hiring, firing, uh, the basic stuff. And unfortunately, although it's a necessary function, for a lot of companies it becomes a necessary evil. The other brand I find uh, that's out there a lot are the executives in HR who are probably more skilled and better seasoned business-wise but don't tend to step up to the table and become a strategic partner with the executives at their level. And that really is a problem that they're not a part of actually forming and shaping the strategy for a company's future. No, it's, it's true. One of the things that we had discussed is perhaps the people who are running departments can learn the human capital um, you know, discipline themselves, and it might be more effective. Sure. I mean, I said to you last night uh, that I'm seeing a trend that's occurring more and more now with uh, departments within large corporations outsourcing so many of their HR needs, and partly it's because either they don't trust the HR people or uh, HR folks, what's being asked of them is so far beyond their capacity the execs now look outside the company for expertise. I mean, it's smarter, it's cheaper, 
they're probably going to get better quality, but more importantly, they're going to get better response out of uh, to have their needs met, essentially. Well, lucky for them that America's top coach has been doing this for a very <laughs> long time. Again, you know, we mentioned that you probably have been doing this the longest. There might be coaches out there that have, you know, invested in PR for themselves and, you know, named themselves the guy, but they're not really the guy. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you are really the guy, but you didn't really choose to, you know, become visible, as you mentioned before, you know, if you're asked, you know, have you been on Katie Couric? Probably no, because you've been too busy. <laughs> yes. But it's funny, I get asked that question a lot, and I, I have kind of a bizarre image in my head, is, you know, I'm sure your listeners can relate to this, of, uh, you know, being in the office late at night, well after hours, the office is shut down, and there's that janitor who's working around, <laughs> almost unnoticed, you know, cleaning around you, leaving you undisturbed. That's kind of me. Getting the job done, you know, very understated, but taking great pride in what I do without the fanfare. And that's just the way I've always worked. And luckily for me, it's led to a business which has been 100% referral for a, almost a decade. And that's, I think, quite a record and quite a record to be proud of. No, it's amazing. And people hang on to you. They don't mm -hmm. want to do business without you. No, I mean, I don't do any, uh, you know, one-shots or onesie-twosies. Uh, virtually every client I have, and they're all Fortune 500, stick with me for three, four, five years or longer. And they just keep repeating the business and growing the, uh, the work with me and my group. They see value. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Well, it's funny. They probably, you know, you probably taught them a thing or two because one of the things where America's business is flawed is kind of running things on a short-term basis and quarter by quarter. Mm -hmm. And you've spent some time in Japan, so you know how different cultures work, and you probably taught them how Japan does business or how the cultures do business. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I've spent... Almost five years uh, in Japan, sort of in the middle of my career, which now spans just a little over 20 years. And one thing that really amazed me, if you want to make, a, I think, a fair cultural comparison, uh, is in Japan, one of the most shocking things I learned uh, on more of a personal basis initially versus a business basis was the fact that when you buy a house in Japan, your mortgage is actually three generations. I mean, think about that. <laughs> It, not because the house necessarily, you know, costs that much and it takes 90 years to pay it, uh, but they have a better sense in that culture of continuity, of longevity, uh, of, of passing things along to generations, you know, as they go forward. And what's interesting is in, in, uh, in that culture and business, you see the exact same dynamic take place where they really have uh, such a good sense of well over the horizon, uh, vision always thinking decades ahead, not quarters ahead. And that's a big flaw I think we have in American business. Most executives in this country, they manage their corporation quarter by quarter. I swear it's almost day by day. And in the long term, it doesn't work. And we're in trouble now, and there's a lot of obvious examples of that. No, it's very, very true. You and I have discussed the fact that we watch people manage things quarter by quarter. And part of that is if you're a publicly traded company, you have to. But I think that the key is, is that, you know, you have to cater to your constituents. And, you know, if you're publicly traded, yes, you have to do your job by law and for the shareholders and do your quarter. But that doesn't mean that you have to be limited to that way of thinking. And so yeah, many people make that mistake. Um, well, you know a lot about business leaders and, you know, people who have run business in their styles. Who do you admire the most? <laughs> That's, you know, I've been asked that many times. and It's really a hard question because for me, there's always an answer with a but. Uh, I guess if I really strip it down, it's going to have to be Jack Welch, and there's a huge but involved in that. I think what I admire most about him, and this is, of course, during his tenure at GE, 
uh, is he really understood the value of a number of fundamentals that are really still missing in American business. Number one, he really believed in developing his people. Uh, and he did so by helping them constantly broaden their experience, uh, constantly challenging them in ways that really help them flex their managerial muscle and really help mature people. Now, that's the upside. The downside, and I put that in big quotes, is as is now you know well known about him, about every year or so, the bottom 10% got the slash. They weren't performing to a certain level or standard. And this really caused people to freak out. But you think about it. It really keeps people motivated if they know the bar really is set high and they really have to perform. Right. And we don't see a lot of that. Now, the but with him is it's also well known. He was a bit of a tyrant and a real hard driver. Feedback is good, but pounding people to the ground, which he's known to do, is not always the best thing to build morale. I mean, let's face it. Well, you know, it, we, we both read you know, the cubicle culture, you know, column by Jared at the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he noted quite recently this week is that, you know, it's better to confront than to be passive and quiet. Absolutely. So maybe Jack went a little bit too far to the other extreme. <laughs> but, if, you know, if you have a Jack Welch or the kind of person that was described in the Wall Street Journal this week, um, you know, isn't it better? I mean, you could always monitor um, mania. Sure. You know, if you're too far to the other side, as long as you're communicating with people, sure. at least you got the message right now. You shouldn't be scaring them. You shouldn't be, you know, emotionally murdering them. Yeah, of but, course. You know, the, it's so much better than just kind of like hiding, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think one thing that really was uh, had a terribly negative impact on American business through the late 80s and then deep into the 90s uh, was such a strong drive around political correctness. Uh, the drive towards diversity and the drive towards making everyone kind of equal, the same, warm and fuzzy and feeling good. And as a result, a lot of needed, much needed feedback was never delivered. And I think it really had a very negative impact on American business culture. People began to really back off and go the other direction. And as a result, everyone is sort of afraid to give the really direct hard feedback, which really does help people understand where they are and develop themselves in meaningful ways. I mean, mm -hmm. you know. Well, which other companies understand leadership? We talked about, you know, the person that you admire with the butt. Is that B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, talk about some companies, maybe some of them that you've been working with, that really get it and understand, you know, the need to be progressive and think in the long term. Sure. And this is, might sound like a kind of a, a wild example um, because of the industry, but one of our biggest clients nationwide is Southern California Edison. Uh, 13,000 employees. Uh, they actually cover both coasts through other holding companies they have. And although they're a utility and have a reputation of being very stodgy uh, and very old school, they're not. Uh, great leadership team in the company, actually in the parent company in both divisions. Uh, pretty progressive people on the HR side of the house and uh, extraordinary executive team, really, really working hard, very proactively, building bench strength, uh, creating cross-training opportunities for people, uh, training people, coaching people, and really putting a push on to have a really solid bench for themselves in the next one to three years. And you don't see a lot of that. Another one I work with uh, is Disney. Uh, also, very similar, uh, very proactive and rotating folks around, again, coaching, training, and I think really do a great job. Are any of them perfect? Of course not. 
but really putting the push on to really respect and really develop, here we go, human capital, right, which is what right. drives business, let's face it. Going back to my initial question, um, in the training process, are you training um, department heads to learn the human capital process? I mean, isn't that part of it is sort of, you know, teaching them so that they could be more in tune with their own employees instead of, you know, you know they always ha they don't want to rely on that crutch, that yeah. personnel director yeah. crutch. Well, it's funny, you know, in surveys that we've done, uh, we find that uh, the trends of where business executives nationwide, this is across industries, across a, across a wide range of demographics, really fall down the hardest. Uh, two of the top five areas is coaching skills, which most managers lack, believe it or not, and interpersonal skills, which under that is dealing with conflict and being able to give good feedback. Right. So a lot of our work really does focus in those couple of areas, which really in turn does go to your point. Ultimately, it does help them understand their people better, develop them better, and in a sense become their own sort of HR executive in a way that HR depending on the organization, you know, either does or does not do a good job at. No, it's true. Well, you know what? We have to take a break really soon. So I just want to let you know that we're going to have segments dedicated to social networking and its effects on America. So <laughs> I don't want to go into that right now because it's a, you know, it's a really newsworthy and it's really topical. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but just to reiterate some points, I, you know, again, from what we're saying, it just seems to me that the human capital, you know, the human resource director, as we once know, as we once knew it, it's evolving. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the fact that. It used to be called personnel. Right. And, you know, thankfully, there, you know, businesses do get the trend that things have to change and people change and companies are organisms, right? They're live things. Right. You know, they're not, you know, just budget seats, sheets. They're not just P&Ls. Right. And um, in this evolution, this organism, you know, revolution, it just seems to me that it's so much more efficient in supporting communications with all, all staff and, um, you know, having this kind of dialogue sort of eliminates that other person in a way. In a sense, yeah, I agree. You know, and um, I think that's a trend that we're going to see more and more in America, but because we have America's top coach, fear not. You know, CEOs can just call Stephen Xavier American's <laughs> top coach, and he could come in and train, you know, all of the wonderful department heads to handle these things themselves and probably have you know, much more efficiencies. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break, and um, then we're going to come back with Stephen Xavier. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern for 
the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest wine Winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where women and wine angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcast each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women and Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back with America's top coach, Stephen Xavier, and, um, you know, the CEO of Cornerstone Executive Development Group. And um, you could go onto his website to see more about him, which is sedge.com, www.cedg.com, to learn more about America's top coach. But now we're going to talk about, you know, more topical issues for the moment. Um, you have a kind of interesting contrarian point of view, I should say refreshing <laughs> contrarian point of view with the economy. I mean, you know, you read every day and you hear on the news every day the massive job losses in the, com- you know, in the economy and, you know, and things Things are going to, like, fold, and everybody's going to go broke, and, you know, nobody's going to be able to have a house anymore, and things are really depressing, and there's a crash, and blah, blah, blah. What do you have to say about that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, it was funny. I, I was at a, a conference <clears throat> uh, in Atlanta last June, and somebody actually from the San Diego area, Ken Blanchard, which you know, very well-known mm-hmm. author and a, a really great mind in the field, in, in my field. And it was interesting. He uh, he came in for this early morning uh, meet the author session, and he was talking about this very thing about doom and gloom all over the media. He said, "You know, I, I came back from this great dinner with old friends and had great conversation, great wine, you know, yada yada, and uh, turned on the news with my wife, you know, for a few minutes, and all I see is." You know, in Atlanta, how many rapes that night, how many murders, uh, you know, this big house fire, uh, people died, and he, he was just overwhelmed me, and I had to stop myself and think, hey, wait a minute, tonight, 8 million people in Atlanta got home safely, and they're all in bed like me. And, you know, I heard that, and it was really a profound way to look at this. I mean, of course, you know, what makes news? Bad news. Uh, but I think a lot of the news, even on the economy, um, it, it just it just bothers me that, there is such doom and gloom, and people really buy into it, and I don't. I don't believe the hype. Uh, the people I work with, the executives I work with, I really encourage them to always maintain an optimistic attitude, not a Pollyanna attitude, of course, but to try to find you know, what's good, what's working, and keep the eye on that ball. And I think there's uh, lots more than just hope in this country, but people have to remember what made this country great, that entrepreneurial spirit, you can come here, you can do anything, you can be anything, and like, you know, why lose sight of that? It's such an important quality 
of the fabric of our very nation's existence. I mean, seriously. Let's not forget. I mean, there are people all over the place. Look at people in Central America and Mexico have to do to get into this country. Yeah. You know, because they know if they work hard here, they're going to be able to have their dream come true. It doesn't happen in those countries. Yeah. I mean, look at all the people that have come here from Vietnam. You know, or, you know, you and I have talked a lot last night about, you know, Asian cultures and all of yeah. that kind of stuff. They they have that work ethic in them, and they know that if they come here and work 24-7, you yeah. know, um, they're going to be, you know, financially compensated and rewarded. That doesn't happen, <clears throat> you know, for them anyplace else. No, it's true. I mean, look look at it from two points of view. There's a great point of view. It's back to the point about you can be anything here if you're willing to work hard and do what it takes. The other point of view is, I mean, seriously, there are kids uh, and adults in the Middle East who are dodging landmines to go buy groceries. I mean, we've really got it, no matter how bad it is here, we've really got it pretty damn good, let's face it. We got a reminder, though, with 9-11, and I think that's one of the things that gave the press and pundits out there a license to talk about the doom and gloom. I mean, there's, you know, in recent times, there's pre-9-11 and post-9-11. Sure. And I think for the first time, you know, hitting New York and, you know, the financial capital of the world certainly gave Americans a clue of what it's like to live worldwide. Sure. I mean, sure, maybe it was just shocking in the American economy and, you know, in America itself. But, God, this happens everywhere else all the time, doesn't it? Yeah, it's true. But, you know, I mean, going back to 9-11, within, I'd say, 18 to 24 months after that terrible event, I lost 80% of my business. Right. And uh, and as I told you uh, off air before, in the years that followed, thousands of people in my industry went under. Mm-hmm. And luckily, because I have a bootstrap mentality, I've doubled my business every year since that time, and as have others. I mean, not just you know beat my own chest here. Well, I mean, I think that you had more of a macro point of view. You know, you know, you can't expect the world to run without a crisis. That's Pollyanna. Um, You know, and I think the people that survived 9-11 are the ones that knew, like, gee, this isn't a personal thing. This is something that happens worldwide all the time. You know, you have something like that. And it's not necessarily, you know, all negative. Right. People are forced to restart all the time. Absolutely. And um, I think that you and I agree. The people that really think just because they've, you know, run a business for 15 years and they've done so well and they, you know, made this and this amount of money on a monthly basis. And then all of a sudden it's like, why can't I make that like I did before? Well, you got to change people. Exactly. Wake up, America. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, get a reality check here. That's what makes a great executive. You and I talked about it. It's, it's true. the executives that can, you know, take something that changes because change is evident. Absolutely. Change is a given. And, you know, become a pioneer in the new land. Right. You know, it's um, it's so silly to say, oh, well, after 9-11, you know, I, you know, I want to have the same kind of accounts that I had before. Well, too bad. It's not going to Read work. the news. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop bitching. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, you know, we've heard the old adage, there are only two things for certain, you know, death and taxes. Well, add one to that, change. I mean, change is inevitable. And going back to your question uh, or your point earlier about American business and you know, this whole doom and gloom culture, it's I really believe it's mostly the media because there are so many success stories. And we've been told in the last couple of months that America is no longer the powerhouse, you know, no longer 
uh, you know, sort of the linchpin that the you know that kind of holds the world's economy together. Well, uh, for what five weeks ago, the American stock market took a big dip. Markets around the world plummeted on that same day. Right. Coincidence? I don't think so. No. People have a lot of confidence in who we are, how we got to where we are, and where we're going. And don't forget that. No, I think that's very true and very encouraging. And I'm sure that in the people that you coach. You know, you train them to have that kind of mindset. Absolutely. You know, you don't, <laughs> you know, just because there's a fire, it doesn't mean you run away. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You just got to take things and make it better. Uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about, and it's on your website and um, all of that kind of stuff, is people-centric versus market-centric. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's a phrase that was probably coined almost a decade ago. Uh, you know, people friendly, people centric, who, you know, who drives a business. And unfortunately, it was just really a lot of nice talk. Uh, but I really bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. Maybe I'm naive, I don't know, but I really do believe it. And I found that uh, the executives out there and the corporations out there that really do invest in their people, uh, you do see results. They really do respect their people. They value their people. And let's face it, I don't care if it's technology, if it's, um, uh, if it's marketing, if it's, it's packaging, delivery, any part of a business, even how, no matter how automated it is, it still is ultimately run by people. If you don't have good people who uh, don't feel respected and valued and don't want to stay with you, then you're not going to have a, a successful business, bottom line, versus market-driven or market-centric, market which is where there's such an eye on what the public thinks, what the market thinks, like we see in politics a lot, poll-driven. Yeah. Uh, you know, ultimately, it doesn't work for the long run. It just doesn't. No, no. It just, it's almost like the financial planning, yeah, exactly. you know, short-term versus long-term. Exactly. Uh, I, I think that's very, very true. Um, you know, in this time, technology is a big part of it. And again, we're going to have like two segments dedicated to the my face generation. But I want to talk a little bit about other technological issues that affect the workplace. We talked a lot about telecommuting. Yeah. And, you know, how not to take advantage of that and how to really leverage the benefits of it. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's a trend that has not really caught on to the degree I think it probably could have by this time, although there's some of it. I think it's a very small percentage, at least in my experience. And uh, typically folks that are telecommuting, i.e. working from home, um, more typically have special circumstances. Uh, there's an elder care issue. There's a difficult child care issue. There might be a personal health issue, which are all really great and really valid reasons to be able to work from home. Right. And some of my own client companies, I'm very proud to say, uh, have gone to extreme lengths to get folks set up in their house, you know, running high-speed Internet cables into their house, uh, conference calling, even video conferencing tech, uh, capability, which is extraordinary. I think it could be put to better use, uh, but it, I think it's coming. As far as the abuse part, right. uh, of course, you know, like anything, people are going to take advantage. And I was telling you off air earlier about an example I knew of people that were working in remote locations uh, in a large territory of a company I work with. And uh, when the VP went out there for the first time to do some site checks, found cobwebs on the doors. Like That's people amazing. weren't even coming to the office for months and needed to be there. And uh, next thing they know, they find that some guy with a computer at home is, like, building a boat in his garage and is not getting his work done, calling in when he needs to, you know, only doing the minimums. And it really does cast a bad light on the value of such a great technology, and uh, which could really make our work life and, 
and life in general a lot easier if it's used effectively. Oh, it's true. Let's talk a little bit about education. We talked about it last night mm. quite a bit. Is there a way that they could better prepare its students for the workforce? We talked about, you know, instinct and what's innate. Can learning centers in this country do a better job of teaching people to think with their guts? Oh, my goodness. It would take us like three shows to cover that one. <laughs> well, here's my bias. I'll put it on the table since I'm a contrarian by nature, as you said. Uh, I mean, let's face it. The education system in America is its decades behind what this nation and its businesses need. It's been that way. It's been talked about since Jimmy Carter, and nothing there's been no appreciable change since then, when it first was talked about 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, you know, a lot of the drive is still uh, very rudimentary education. It's still like you know the three R's. Uh, a lot of push towards individual achievement. Uh, my child is, you know, child of the nanosecond and all those bumper stickers you see. Huh. When the workplace's needs are so very different, it's about cooperation, collaboration, teamwork, problem solving, uh, understanding communication styles, personality styles. None of that stuff exists in our school system. Oh, well, a better start. Maybe you could, you know, America's top coach can start taking over some educational seminars. <laughs> um, we're going to have to take another break, and um, we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes. Stay tuned for more of the Contrarian Point of View with Stephen Xavier, American's top coach. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com Living Your Power with host and intuitive counselor Diane Brandon breaks down the old traditions of taking what life gives you. Living Your Power teaches you how to have a life of success, happiness, and fulfillment. How to live your power, feeling vibrant and confident. Tune in Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern to Living Your Power on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Someone once said, what you don't know won't hurt you. Since our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, that couldn't be further from the truth. Inside Diversity, the power of intelligence is committed to providing an electronic venue for practical education and thought-provoking dialogue about diversity initiatives and the implications for the communities where we live and work. On air every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Network, Inside Diversity is a voice to the community. This show embarks on a journey to confront the lack of knowledge by collaborating with a diverse group of experts to share insights and intelligent solutions to workplace issues with a focus on cultural competence and challenges facing women. Join hosts Carmen M. Carter every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Network for Inside Diversity, the Power of Intelligence, and go where few people dare to explore and learn the real deal like never before. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. 
Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The Kerry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788, and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Now back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back. We're back. We're back with America's top coach. And we were talking before the commercial break about education. And I know, Stephen, that you had some things that you wanted to add about education. Well, I was saying before the break, um, you know, of, of how really out of touch and out of sync um, education in America is. I'm speaking about public education primarily. And uh, what's interesting is, uh, although my leanings politically and socially are definitely to the right and more conservative, I opened myself up, demonstrating flexibility here, to uh, to the Montessori school system, for example, and, and both my kids, who are very young, by the way. For an old dude, I have young kids. <laughs> Not that old. <clears throat> I put uh, my daughter through Montessori, and my son, who's four, is now in his second year. And I'll tell you what, I was, I was skeptical in the beginning, but when I began to put it together with the business models that I've developed and I work with, with my clients successfully, I began to get it, you know, what it is that's really at the core of a lot of the complaints about education. And, and watching the Montessori's, for example, uh, they really foster this environment of cooperation, collaboration, uh, mentoring. You know, you have first graders helping out with kindergartners, kindergartners helping out with preschoolers. And it's unbelievable. I mean, it's amazing to watch that dynamic and how successful it is. And you know what? That is mirrored in the workplace, in the good workplaces, and I see it all the time. It's a simple formula. It's a successful formula. So tell me, please, you know, why isn't the, whole, the entire nation's school systems engaging in that kind of education for kids? Well, I, I don't understand that <clears throat> myself, even with higher education. You know, it's, um, you know, it just seems that if we need to have more of a, you know, a workplace that's driven from interaction and, you know, driven <clears throat> from people talking to each other and engaging with each other and team building, why is that not taught at a very early exactly. age? Um, you know, sometimes we, you know, sometimes in our school system we're asked to do team projects. And right. I think you see that in higher education a lot more where you're working on a paper. You certainly see it in law school, sure. you know, where people are working on teams and stuff like that. And the grade is based on how you do. But why not Montessori? 
Why isn't that? I get. Is it because the Montessori's want to continue to have a monopoly on it? I mean, you would think mm. that, you know, <laughs> um, public schools might, you know, get, you know, more of a. <laughs> More of a clue. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'm just putting it out there. Just It's just a question that's been asked forever and just remains unanswered, and it makes no sense to me. I mean, as you know, I went back and finished my own degree work um, as an adult, you know, later in life. And uh, I was so amazed that the uh, the whole model of the uh, curriculum that I was engaged in, where everything was team-based, all of our projects, all of our presentations, and guess what? All of our grades were dependent on the effort of the entire group and guess what for the most part it's true in business too no one person or rarely does any one person ever be the champion and the one who makes something successful it always takes a number of people going in the same direction to make things happen well, it's that's true. the way it works it's true well you know that's part of leadership too if you're really a respected leader and do all the things that you know you always recommend that you do to your clients and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff people are going to want to follow them Mm -hmm. You know, if they had that kind of, you know, investment, people investment kind of personality and leadership drive, mm -hmm. people are going to want to work with them it's and true. support them. It's just so simple. I don't understand why people don't get that. It's a no-brainer. It should be. All right. Well, <laughs> one, before we go into social networking, we have to mention the fact that you, the press just picked up on, you know, Stephen Xavier all over the place. I mean, you finally <laughs> got to see the press pickup that you had and everywhere from Forbes.com and Yahoo Finance picked up on the fact that, you know, in leadership, we, it's not only evaluating business leaders, but also political leaders. Absolutely. And, um, <laughs> you know, you gave, you know, you boldly gave your coachability <clears throat> scores in the presidential election. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. And again, this is my own politics aside. Uh, okay. From, from an objective course. point of view, uh, we had looked at uh, uh, Clinton, Obama, and McCain. And uh, as you know from the release, uh, I gave Obama very high scores, and to me, as a professional coach, it's very obvious that he is being coached and is clearly very coachable. Uh, you know, strong on message, clear on message, consistent on message, uh, just the right amount of flexibility, and yeah, I can tell, and I might be wrong, but I, I, I think not, that uh, not poll-driven, because there is that consistency of message, uh, reaching out to the people, uh, a very, very high likability factor, and uh, really wonderful just to stand back, politics aside, just watch you know how this whole thing plays out. By contrast, you know there's Hillary, who uh, from where I'm standing looks to be very uncoachable, very poll-driven. Uh, you know, turnover of staff, turnover of uh, of campaign management, and this constant erratic you know flipping back and forth. Which, if I translate this over to the business world, I work with both kinds of executives. Right. You know, right. so that's where this comes from. And, uh, and then McCain, again, by contrast to Obama, very, very similar, uh, that affable personality, uh, clearly steady on message, <clears throat> strong on message, uh, clearly very coachable, not poll-driven. And you, have, you can have that sense about people. You know, they're driven in one direction. They're driven in the right direction. And you can just get a feeling when you watch those people that you know that their trusted advisors, i.e. coaches, uh, are really doing a great job because they have a great audience the candidate that's listening to them. No, it's well, just it's amazing true. to watch. Yeah, and we discussed the fact that look at how I, you know, my politics aside, you know, we have to admire McCain for what a great job he did in listening to his advisors when the New York Times went oh, out and absolutely. attacked him. So talk <laughs> about that a little bit. You know, 
Well, let's go back a little further. I mean, look at last summer when his whole campaign fell apart. You know, there was a scandal with the staff, and the staff fell apart. There was no funding. You know, I mean, let's face it. This guy is, I mean, he's ironclad. He just, again, stuck to his principles, stuck to his message, stuck to his vision, never wavered. Uh, in the face of the critics and pundits and you name it, he just ignored them because he knew where he had to go. And then look what happened. I mean, nine months ago, nobody would have ever predicted or put money on him being the front runner on the Republican side of the race. You know, and here he is. It's, uh, no, it, it, it's really true. And again, uh, you know, the thing that's amazing to me is it's a crisis communications expert of a sort, only because I've been doing it since 1899, mm. um, <laughs> you know, is the fact that, you know, the New York Times really did a job on him. Yeah. You know, the allegations about an inappropriate relationship with a lobbyist, um, you know, was the news of the day. Right. Um, I think that the New York Times, you know, they're very liberal in their approach to coverage, um, you know, really did a number on him. And his response to me, you know, watching in a crisis communications mode was amazing because it was all over the news for 48 hours. And when his people turned this opportunity into a fundraising opportunity, <laughs> you know what happened? Okay, sure, you know, he, he raised more funds, as you know, because, sure. you, know, you know, you know the campaign. But you know what? The story went away. It's not talked about anymore. It's Done. not a Mono Monica Lewinsky situation, Done. which dragged on yeah. and on. It's not a Jennifer Flowers situation which dragged on and on. This is something that is dismissed. It's not talked about. And I think that the New York Times didn't come out looking so good. They didn't. In the situation. No, I, I agree with you. And it's interesting. I think the story lasted three, maybe four days at best. Uh, but here again, we'll go to the – I'm making an assumption here. But look at the coachability factor. <clears throat> My guess, and I think it's a pretty good guess – is that he was told to address this as fast as possible, head on, and just say what he said, which was, this story is just not true. Period. Move on. Yeah, no. Boom. Done. It was supported. It was supported. <clears throat> okay, we're going to talk about social networking now. Okay. <laughs> the rest of the show, so you can relax and have a good time, because I know you love this subject. Well, you know, talk about the quote, end quote, my face generation. How are they different? How are they really not as a group necessarily the best for business today and the differences between us baby boomers and what became the social networking viral character in the <laughs> workplace. <laughs> wow. Again, need about two more shows to talk about that. But I guess in brief, uh, you know, there's this huge influx, obviously, of, um, of Gen X and Gen Y coming into the, work, into the workforce. And I'm going to be very in politically incorrect for a moment, which I usually am anyway, by the way. Is uh, I don't get the warm, fuzzy feeling uh, about what a wonderful, you know, new dawning or new horizon it is because it's not. Um, I see more and more evidence now with the execs I work with, who are mostly boomer age, you know, mid late thirties to probably mid fifties, and I got to tell you, they've got they've got headaches galore with uh, younger generations in the workplace, unlike any other point in time in history. I don't care what the experts say, quote unquote experts. Um, some of the issues are. Enormous difference in work value, in values and work ethics, pardon me. Huge. Uh, you know, they're really the generation that has a very strong vibe of self-entitlement. Uh, they believe on day one, uh, once they hit Starbucks and, you know, they get to work uh, maybe around nine-ish. With a uh, mug in their hand. With the mug in and their hand. And I would hand. have to say 920-ish. <laughs> 
923. I was being polite. Okay. <clears throat> you know, they roll in with their friends with their backpacks, uh, take the time, get to their cube, you know, socialize for about a half an hour, then about 10 to 10, they're ready to go. Well, guess what? You know, Johnny or Sally, uh, you know, Boomer has been there since 730. Uh, you know, kids in school or kids in daycare or what have you. They've been on a commuter train. They're already like two hours deep into a project when these, you know, folks are rolling. Of course, I'm making terrible generalizations here, but in this case, they're mostly true. Mm -hmm. uh, the social factor is high. They're more involved with friends and, and their own peer groups in work, uh, not as engaged in project, a lot of isolation. And I got to tell you, uh, the upside of the generation is uh, raised on media, so generally very technologically savvy, which is great in this you know age we live in with this emerging technology. The downside is they text each other, they live through electronic media, they don't know how to communicate to people, and it's a huge factor. Add to that, I've been in meetings with you know the youngish people in the room under the table with their phones and Blackberries. Testing, texting each other in a meeting. Oh, it's uh, it's certainly not <laughs> respectful of authority in any way. Well, listen, Terrible. we're going to take we're going to take a quick break we're with Stephen Xavier, America's top coach, and more on social networking in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Film lovers, moviegoers, and living room critics, it's your turn to be heard. Do you love movies? Then you'll love Flick Chicks. Open your eyes and see what we have made is real. Broadcasting live on Voice America Women's Radio Network, Flick Chicks with Roberta and Manuela. Join us every Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and experience the best of Hollywood. 
Want pure inspiration and great ideas for action? Want to become successful beyond your hopes and dreams? Then tune in to Millionaire Mentor with best-selling author, one of the world's leading women entrepreneurs, and host, Luann Mitchell-Halter. Luann and her guests, all masters of global inspiration, share their secrets to manifesting and positive daily mental exercise principles. From how to get affordable health care to billionaire mentality and bankrupt no more imagery, Millionaire Mentor dares you to live the life you love and love the life you live. Millionaire Mentor with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcasts each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Millionaire Mentor, achieve your greatest heights. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now let's get back to more Stars of PR. Here's your host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. <laughs> Stephen Xavier, America's top coach, CEO of Cornerstone Executive Development Group. I have to say, you know, even though he's been doing this since 1899, he plays a mean, <laughs> wicked air guitar. And, you know, being that we're not televised yet, you know, <clears throat> you really missed a great show. So he's very, very cool. And in spite of the fact that he doesn't come into the office at 923 every day and text his bosses and say, that he's late or his clients, he does play a mean air guitar. <laughs> Let's go back to social networking because All we were right. really talking about it. And, um, you know, this, this you know, sort of, um, um, you know, entitlement, yeah. you know, that, you know, I'm an online person. I'm a superstar on, you know, MySpace. I don't need to be respectful to authority. I'm just going to do my own thing. And yeah. work is sort of secondary. And, gee, since I'm getting a paycheck, maybe I do have to try to do something. Maybe, kind of, sort of. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, j- just recently, probably in the last month or two, uh, on PBS's um, news na- magazine Frontline, was right. really, uh, when they're not beating up Bush and Cheney in the war, it's really a great program. Sorry, I had to slip that in. <clears throat> and they did a great segment called Growing Up Online. And it was amazing. It really just um, sort of um, concretized a lot of what I've been thinking about this for a while in talking about how this whole generation, almost two generations, uh, being raised in the midst of electronic media, uh, it's become an extension of those young people where they really truly can't connect and relate to each other as most of us can. And ironically, because they're so big into the social network scene, uh, again, if you think about it, it's all done at a distance. It's all done electronically. So the word social, I think, really is inappropriate to use. There's nothing social about it, I mean, no. in the true sense of the word. No intimacy. <clears throat> no intimacy. But, you know, a, a, one of my executive clients told me an outrageous story a few months ago, and I, I still laugh about it. His son is, uh, I think, 14 and, uh, you know, I'm sorry, 17. Pretty, you know, hip and techy kid, but pretty conservative at the same time. Great kid. And uh, in, in this executive's house is the house where all the kids, you know, show up, which this guy's happy, keeps an eye on everybody. Well, they're all in the room under the big TV watching some show, and the son comes out of the kitchen stomping in and very frustrated. And Dad goes, you know, you know Craig, what's wrong? 
his dad, these friends of mine, it's just unbelievable. He goes, well, what's wrong? He goes, they're all texting. He goes, well, so what? You all text. He goes, Dad, they're in the same room watching a movie. They're texting each other. I can't stand it. I have to get out of there. <laughs> and he walked out. I mean, like, what better example could you and, But you know what? It's a great across. example because in the workplace today, that's what happens. You know, people aren't really doing their jobs. They're texting each other and making yeah, each other true. laugh. I mean, I think it's great for, you know, <laughs> social camaraderie. But, but what are they really getting done? What about productivity? You know. I mean, it was interesting. I had a termination in my office not long ago for the same issue. The person had five IM screens up at any given t- moment and couldn't figure out, she couldn't understand why she was making so many mistakes and was not focused on a very busy office. And we found out why. Five IMs going at one time, you know, chatting with friends who were also at work, by the way. Exactly. Well, you know, how much are they all getting done? I mean, it can't be a lot. Well, that's where, you know, I think that the concept is a great concept, but I think that it's being abused, sort of like telecommuting. I mean, if you can use these sites to engage with people who, you know, are productive for your business, mm. like in a public relations case, if you have a lot of, you know, on-air kind of people, producers and reporters that you're communicating with that way, I think it's effective. But, you know, or if you're communicating with clients that way, yeah. it's effective. But if you're just talking to each other about, you know, um, you know, did you see the last YouTube cl- clip? It's hilarious. Go exactly. look at it. Yeah, exactly. Hello? That's, you know, this is why people who played solitaire incessantly in our generation <laughs> got scrutinized. It's true. You know, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, when you think about being on company time, you know, I'm sorry, you know, maybe you do have a small right to privacy, but, you know, if you have somebody that's on the company dollar and getting $250,000 a year, I'm sorry, you are not entitled to play solitaire on company time. No, it's true. Find something else to do. No, it's true. I mean, the last couple of years, fortunately, there have been um, some cases that have gone to court, which has now established, you know, case law in these areas where employees sued for a violation of privacy, and the courts came back and said, hey, wait a minute, it's the company's computer, it's their equipment, it's their time, you're on their dime, guess what? It's not a free ride. And I work with HR executives on both coasts that tell me horrifying stories about um, employees in the like the twenty-something, early thirty-something generation, online downloading porn, watching porn, uh, going to social websites. This is throughout the course of a day. They track these people through IT technology, and they know what they're doing. And it's unbelievable the number of hours per day, not minutes. People are online, engaged, like they're in their living room with a mug of coffee in their hand, hanging out with their friends. It's not mug how, of coffee. You're hey, so funny with that. It's, I love that, <laughs> but it's not how business gets done. But let's jump to an example, and I'm going to make a prediction here. And again, remember, I'm very politically incorrect. I apologize in advance. But you know, there are a number of large companies in America now that are starting to bend to the whims of these, you know, uh, X and Y Gen people, and I think it's a mistake. What they're doing is they're allowing that 9.30-ish thing to be okay, uh, the not sticking around at night to work on projects that are urgent, uh, not coming in on weekends, uh, and they're really allowing this. So what's happening is the boomers and others are the ones who are you know, still working blood, sweat, and tears, getting the work out the door, keeping the company's bottom line strong and keeping the company successful, and guess what? They're getting tired of it. And they're starting to speak up about it. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, good, because it's coming. No, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's coming. Really, um, it, it's taking over America, and yeah. I don't think that it has to be forbidden. I mean, it's not just about that company in particular. It's, you want to talk about the economy? 
Okay, it's not what the naysayers are saying. They're they're really you know they're deteriorating American business. Yeah, it's true. I mean, so, us socially and business, but not. I won't get in my political soapbox here, but you know, like IBM is an example that I've you know heard right. quite a bit of examples about where this is you know it's not a good thing. So here's my prediction: in about five years from now, I really believe the case studies that people like me in business will see are the disastrous result of these poor decisions made by executives now to allow this kind of behavior. Look, let's face it. If you work in an industry where safety is an issue, you wear a helmet, goggles, and boots, there's no question about it. So why shouldn't there be the same stringent uh, rules around how work gets done, productivity, and what a break really means? A break isn't eight hours throughout your day of texting your friends. Work has to get done. Well, that's why CEOs in America have to hire America's top coach, Stephen Xavier. Well, hey. <laughs> because, you know, seriously, this is this is a problem. Well, before we sign off, we have to talk about how many careers a person goes through in their lifetime today. Because it seems that oh, yeah. in today's, you know, it, it, today people <clears throat> are doing it more so, aren't they, than they have in the past. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. I mean, surveys we've done, looking at current data and going back 10, 12 years, it's amazing. Let's just let's go back 15 years, just for discussion's sake. The average adult <clears throat> would go through at a maximum three to five jobs in an adult lifetime, adult span of a lifetime, and probably change careers twice. Okay. Mm -hmm. The average now is about every two years, people change jobs and can change careers as many times as five times in their adult lifetime. What makes two it different years. today? Attitude generational issues, boredom, ADD, I mean, call it, <laughs> I mean, call it what you will. But there's also no sense of loyalty. If they don't get what they want immediately, immediate gratification, they move on. Mm -hmm. So there's constant, constant turnover in companies. It's terrible. And it costs billions. Well, this is the Stephen Xavier poll in terms of <laughs> you know job changes in America, but it's very re reflective of the social networking mentality that's really um, intruded like you know an alien planet. Yeah, you know, I believe it. The workplace. But unfortunately... See how fast the hour goes. It goes yes. so fast, and we have to say goodbye. I want people to definitely go into www.cedg.com, learn more about Stephen Xavier, America's top coach. And um, we're going to have him on the show again. You're now officially appointed a regular contributor <laughs> on Voice America Internet Radio, and we congratulate you, and we want to have you on again. Thank, Thank you, you Stephen, for oh. joining us live from San Diego. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific time for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. We'll see you next week. I got synthetic, I kill my